Welcome to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. Marietta First is a community of disciples dedicated to living and serving faithfully our local community of Marietta, Georgia, and around the world. We are glad you're here. It is our prayer that this podcast offers you hope and grace on your own journey of faith. Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture this morning. I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Hear these words. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I have to admit, Jim, that where's Jim? There's Jim. (laughs) I really enjoyed hearing the organ this morning. Thank you. So today, we continue unpacking this very simple word, yet it's a heavy-weighted word. It's the word grace. As United Methodists, our theology is one of grace. Last week, we talked about God's provenient grace, which is the grace that goes before us, preparing us the way. It's wooing us and drawing us into a relationship with Christ. John Wesley uses a metaphor that I think we can all relate to, and it's this metaphor of the house. And so, provenient grace is the front porch. It's that welcome. It's the big welcome sign on the front porch that says, come on in. You are welcome here. As we continue to look at a Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians, we will consider what happens when we walk through the door of the house because this is what Wesley refers to as justifying grace. And I want to begin with a story from my early seminary days. I was in my second year of seminary, 
And I was required as a student to be a student in a local church that was not my home church. And so I chose a church that was right down the road from where we were living, and it was Mount Carmel United Methodist Church in Norcross. I don't know if some of you know that church. It's a sweet church. It's a small church. And they were kind and very welcoming to this very green seminary student. The pastor asked me to teach, of all things, confirmation. And since it was a small church, the confirmation class would have been small, so there were roughly about six kids. They were all kids who had grown up in the church, and they were close to each other, and the families were close to one another. I worked with the, with the pastor on the curriculum, and much of the curriculum was working through these graces um, that we're talking about this month. It seemed, or at least it did to me, that all was going well with the students. They were receptive. They asked lots of questions. And then towards the end of their class, I thought we would have a retreat where we would all gather together, have some fun, and then we would talk about what they could expect on Confirmation Sunday. It went well. And at the end of the retreat, one of the students asked me, a question. He was a sixth grader, is a longtime member of the church, and he asked me the question. He said, So, Miss Julie, can you tell me again what I am going to have to do to be confirmed? Well, in my seminary voice, well, you will come before the church and you will make a public profession of faith. You will claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you won't do it because your parents have asked you to, but you will do it because you want to, and then you will be asked the vows of membership. And this young student, he looked at me, and you could tell that he was thinking about it because he had the mushed eyebrows that came together in a quizzical look. And then he looked at me, and he surprised me because he said to me, I don't think I want to be confirmed. I was taken aback. What do you mean you don't want to be confirmed? How can you not want to be confirmed? I tried to downplay my surprise. And I asked him, well, why is it that you don't want to be confirmed? And he said, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, and I don't know if he's my Lord. I was stunned. I was stunned. Here was a child of the church. He was baptized in the church. He was almost in church every Sunday. What does he mean he doesn't want to be confirmed in the church? Does he not believe? How could he not believe in Jesus? How, of course, it all became about me. How had I failed as a teacher? What have I done to prevent this young student, this young man, from wanting to make a public profession of faith in the church? How would this look? What would the parents say? I don't know. So we talked, and I told him if he's not ready, then um, I would talk with his parents and the pastor. And I wasn't sure of their response. The pastor was very gracious, of course. And he actually said, no worries, no, no rush. He can be confirmed next year. In fact, the pastor applauded this young man for his courage, for his willingness to not necessarily go along with his peers to just come forward in the church, but that he really needed to think about it. It was something that he wanted to take seriously and he wanted to honestly be able to respond. I liked that response but the parents did not. They didn't understand. They questioned what happened in that confirmation class with that seminary student. Why would their son not want to be confirmed? If he waits another year, he won't be confirmed with his friends. We had been planning on this. I don't understand. Our son is a Christian. Why does he need to wait? 
Why does he need to wait? I tried to explain it as best I could, and I know the pastor did as well, and the parents, they did agree. The young man came to worship on that Sunday with his friends who were being confirmed, and he celebrated with them. I will always remember this young man and the tough decision he made. I've never had a student since him ever do anything like this, ever say that he didn't want to be confirmed. I know that his parents were not happy. Parents, we have expectations for our kids, especially in the church. And, you know, wanting to confirm, I thought, was it more of a reflection on me because I had done something wrong? The parents saw it maybe as a reflection on me, but I think they saw it to some degree as a reflection on them and maybe their bad parenting. They thought they were bad parents. None of that was the case. None of that was the case. What we were doing is we were looking at the outward things. We were worried about what others would say. We were worried about how it would be perceived in the church. We were more concerned about the outside than what was actually happening on the inside of the heart of this young man. This young man was taking very seriously whether or not he wanted to walk through the front door of God's house. Maybe he understood all too well what happens when you make a profession of faith, that you're not supposed to take this lightly, that it changes you, that something happens when you make this profession. It restores within you the image of God. It's realigning what you have in your life and your purposes with God's purposes so that you're not always looking out into the world out of a worldly lens, but that you're looking out out to the world and to see into people's hearts. You'll be happy to know that this young man was confirmed the following year. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This justifying grace, this grace when you walk through the door, is about being made into a new creation. It's throwing away the old ways of living in your life and being filled with the fruits of the Spirit, the joy and the love, the patience, the kindness of God. It's looking out into the world in a different way, with a different lens, and it's focusing less on what we see and more on what we don't see, those things in someone's heart. And this is something that the Apostle Paul is trying to get at to the church at Corinth. He wants them to understand this. And we learned last week that Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth is at times very, very tumultuous. There's a lot of outside influences and people questioning his authority, questioning his leadership. He was experiencing personal attacks by church members and outsiders. They were saying that he was indecisive, that he was greedy, that he was self-promoting, that he was cunning, and at times, believe it or not, he was difficult to understand. And he had, they said, an underwhelming presence and lacked charisma. Isn't that ironic, though? Because this word charisma has at its root the Greek word charis, which means grace. This perception of Paul is surprising in the church because Paul is the founding pastor. He founded the church with Priscilla and Aquila. And so what we hear in 2 Corinthians is his apologia, his defense, 
his defense of his authority as an apostle, and his theology of ministry. And at the heart of his theology, it is a ministry and a theology of grace. It's not about focusing on what we see on the outside. Paul is telling them it's not about all the things on the outside. It's more importantly about what is going on within the heart of someone. And admittedly, this is hard for us to do. I mean, we live in a world where what we project on the outside matters. It matters. I mean, how many of us have been told that first impressions are important? My son has graduated from college and he has to get ready for job interviews. First impressions, you've only got a matter of minutes before making that first impression. I read somewhere that we actually size someone up in a matter of seconds, seconds. We've already formulated an opinion about them. We judge them. We can't help it. Can we? I remember when I was in my early 20s and I bought a new car. I bought a new car. I was very proud of my car. Um, My old car had died and my parents um, could not um, afford to buy me one. And I was working and going to school and I really needed a very dependable car. So I bought at the time a no frills Nissan Sentra. I had no power steering, no power windows, no air conditioning, and no radio. But I was proud of that car. I was proud of that car. And I showed it to my girlfriends, all of whom were driving much nicer cars than I was driving. And I'll never, ever forget what one of my girlfriends said to me. She said, a Nissan Sentra? Well, no guys are going to look at you in that car. (laughs) I was shocked that it never occurred to me that the car I needed to buy was to attract a guy. (laughs) It just happened. It just happened, though, that when I met my husband, I was driving that car. Somebody left at the the last service. They said, well, that's because he felt sorry for you. (laughs) Well, whatever. I married him. But we place values. We place values on cars. (laughs) We place values on where people live, where kids go to school, what advanced classes they're in, what their professions are, who we're connected to, who's on our friend list. It happened to Paul. It happened to Jesus. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? All he does is hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes, sinners. He has no pedigree. Appears that they did not understand this word, grace. (laughs) Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, and he's reminding the church today, that when we walk through the door of God's house, we are justified by faith through grace and we become a new creation. We no longer look out at the world as the world looks. We don't look at it at our friends and our family with judgment as people born of the flesh. Rather, we look at it as people born of the Spirit who died and was raised with Christ. And as a church, we do the same. We keep Christ at the center. It's where we live out of day in and day out in the life of the church. 
Eugene Peterson in his message um, translation puts it this way. I like this. It says, our firm decision is to work from the center. One man died for everyone, and that puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. I want to close with a story that Jesus shares. And if you'll permit me, it's a paraphrase of a parable. It's the story of a man who has two sons. The younger son decides that he wants to leave his father's house and pursue worldly delights. Life is too boring, and he wants to hang out with those who appear to be having more fun and more pleasure in life than he is having. Life on the farm with his dad and his brother isn't good enough and it's boring. And so he asks for his inheritance and decides that he wants to pursue all those things that he has seen advertised online in the stores and on Facebook. A life that looks fun and engaging, one that will make him popular and liked, where he will be the envy of his friends and of his enemies. His father complies and gives him his share of the inheritance. And he spends it all on pleasure and all the things that he thinks are good living, things that might make him look and feel important. But one day, he goes to use his debit card and it's denied. And he realizes that he doesn't have any money And so he's forced then to work at a low-level hourly job. And he realizes as he's working this job that he can barely make ends meet and nobody is cutting him any slack, nobody's giving him a break, and he can't even support himself. And so he begins to think about his father and the farmhands um, that are working for his father, realizing that they are eating and living better than he is. And so he comes to himself, the text says, or as the Greek reads, makes one's appearance public. So he decides that he will return home. He will no longer pretend, but will confess what he has done and make his mistakes public, make them known to the father. He sees him, his father sees him in the distance, and we know what he does. His father runs out to meet him, grabs him, hugs him, and kisses him. And he brings him onto the front porch and he looks his son in the eyes and he asks, do you want to come in? And that son of his walks through the door and experiences the justifying grace of Almighty God. We never hear what happens to his son. This son, did he straighten up? Did he get his act together? Did he stop looking at the world with envy and at his family with criticism and judgment? 
We hear that he was lost and is now found. I don't know, but it seems, it seems that he's been given a second chance, a chance to be born again, a chance to be recreated, a chance to be made into a new creation. One would hope that he and each of us would not waste this gift of sheer grace. It was John Wesley who said, ye know that the great end of religion is to renew our hearts into the image of God. May it be so. Thank you for listening to the Marietta First United Methodist Church podcast. For more information about Marietta First United Methodist Church, we invite you to connect with us online at mariettafumc.org or on Facebook at Marietta FUMC.